Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am so excited today as we have the hard rock post-grunge alternative band, 10 years joining us. And before I bring them on, I also like to do just a brief introduction for my show. It's going to be an honor and pleasure of having them on today and doing an in-depth interview. They're going to be joining some other amazing national bands that I've had also the honor of interviewing, including Tremonti, Trivium, Sick Puppies, Lacey Sturham, Dead, and otherwise, to name a few. So just to let the audience know, if you're tuning in for the first time, I created this show several years ago, really with the um, idea in mind that I wanted to create a forum that I could just bring entertainers on, primarily bands is what I interview, to support them and help them get their names out there. Um, The industry is dramatically different today than it was, let's say, 10 years ago. So my show is all about just supporting and promoting the artists that I interview. Also, I wanted to combine some of my passions, which is the entertainment industry, as well as I have an extensive background in interviewing, um, as I have a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. So I really like to combine some of my unique characteristics to bring a really different and dynamic interview to the table. Although I mentioned I have a a background in psychology, I always just let the audience know that my show is um, purely an entertainment show. We're not doing any type of therapy or diagnosis, Um, occasionally we will talk about psychological concepts in an educational manner um, if that is um, indicated. So if you're tuning in, create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com, and let's do a nice interview for 10 years, and then uh, we'll wait for the guitarist Brian is going to be calling in today. So 10 years, as I mentioned, they're a hard rock alternative post-grunge band, and these guys are really interesting. They formed a little over, I would say it's a little less than two decades ago. They came together in 99, but it wasn't until around 2005 that they signed with Universal. The band has released seven studio albums, and they've endured some really major and significant success over the years, uh, with numerous hit singles topping the Billboard Modern Rock and Hot Stream main rock charts, including Wasteland, through the Iris, Beautiful, and Shoot It Out, to name a few. I'm not going to go through every album because we're going to get into that later in the interview. And I think for me personally, I did a lot of research on this band, and a theme that really runs through from all I've read about these guys is just how they've really remained authentic, grounded, and genuine over the years, not just as professional musicians and persons, but also true to their music. I mean, these guys have really stayed true to what 10 years is all about. And you'll hear that musical theme, even though they've evolved over the years, running through their songs, especially with uh, Jesse's unique voice. You'll always know it's 10 years. So like I said, we're going to take you on an in-depth interview today. We're going to promote this phenomenal new album. It's their eighth studio album they are releasing on October 27th. It is titled How to Live as Ghosts. And it is featuring the hit single Novocaine, which is currently all over rock stations, and they have a video out for it, so check it out. And also be sure to check these guys out on tour with Otherwise, Red, and also coming up, sorry, look at my notes here, Chevelle. So again, special thanks to Steve Karras from SKH Music for setting up this interview, as well as their label, Mascot Label Group. So let's bring Brian on. Hey, Brian, how are you? 
Hey, doing very well. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is a pleasure and honor to have you guys on. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's do this. Um, you guys have been around for a very long time, and again, I want to congratulate you on all the success that you have sustained over the years you've been together. And I wish I had two hours to interview you, but um, I won't keep you on forever. But let's get into talking about some of the history, because I think, you know, you guys have a really rich and diverse history. But I want to hear a little bit about you. So tell me, growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, you know, tell me a little bit about when you were a real little kid. I always like to do something different. You know, what were you like? What were some of your interests, whether you were into sports, you know, artistic stuff? Tell us a little bit about yourself. So when I was, when I was growing up, my family basically, I mean, I used to actually tell people that I was born at the tennis club that my parents belonged to because <laughs> okay. that was our entire life was, um, really? you know, I grew up playing tennis like about seven days a week and playing national tournaments all over the country. And so my, my path from uh, a very young age was um, go to, go to college on a tennis scholarship, possibly try to become pro or uh, go to medical school and become a doctor. Oh. There's a lot of doctors in my family. So uh, okay. that was the path, and I had a pretty clear vision on that until I was a teenager. And when I was about 16 or 17, I, you know, I've been playing tennis so much at that point, and I really discovered rock and roll and music, and, and I was writing in the band. Because uh, 10 years actually formed when I was like 15 or 16 years old. So, Right. Um, that that took over at that point. I I knew that I just wanted to, you know, be in a band and try to try to live the dream. So my my cool. focus shifted and uh, and so you know my it was tough because at first I thought my parents were going to absolutely kill me because they, they put <laughs> right. so much into my uh, upbringing and and you know with a different focus. But uh, they've been my biggest supporters in music as well. So yeah, it all That's worked amazing. out. That's great. Just digress a little bit, because that's, again, I did so much research. I mean, I spend hours and hours when I, you know, I really take this seriously, and I want to do a really, you know, interesting and different interview. So to digress back a little bit, so you start playing tennis. Were your parents avid tennis players? You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you get into it? And, you know, give us some information in terms of, you know, what types of doctors you have in your family, what do your parents do, just to, you know, give us some background on on your family dynamics. Yeah, so... uh... Both my parents played tennis like every day, basically, when I was just, you know, by being around it, was interested and um, started playing. I started hitting when I was like two, I think. And so then by the time I was like three, I was in like French tennis magazine and on the news and different things like that. So it it was very natural for me. and And so... From a young age, everyone around me just kind of thought, well, that's what he's going to do with his life. Um, right, right. But, again, you know, it just kind of uh, – my dad used to play in a symphony orchestra, and uh, hmm. so he was big into classical music, and my mom, you know, basically uh, raised me on Elvis and the Beatles and, and things like that. So I think even now today in my writing and – and my um, my particular sound, it, I can hear elements of you know a, a combination of like classical music meets pop melody. Um, right. So uh, it, it's it's interesting how all that did affect me. But 
as far as doctors uh, in the family, uh, my who I was named after is my uncle Brian, and he was a surgeon. And so when I was young, growing up, I always thought that you know he would tell us stories about you know different things, and I was so intrigued. And I have um, uh, just all kinds of varying doctors and specialists in the family. So. Um, it, it, you know, that, that was always, when I was young, I was very intrigued. And, and that route, um, I think if, if I had zero musical ability, I probably would have just gone, uh, the route that I always had intended on going. But, um, once music struck and I started writing songs, um, I, it really just felt like more than just a hobby. Like I felt like I could really do this and make an impact. So. Sure. So I guess, you know, reflecting back on, you know, that moment, like you said, you're around 15 years old. And I mean, again, you know, I really commend you for it. You're so diverse and dynamic with guitar, drums, singing, producing, mixing. I mean, I was seeing all these different things that you do, and I'm sure that's developed over the years. You know, so what was that first memory? What, like, kind of struck you that I want to pick up an instrument? And what instrument was the first one that you started to play? I'm assuming it was drums, because I think you were playing drums, correct, when you started 10 years? Well, I, so I, I was, but I actually started the band attempting to be a guitar player. The problem that we okay. had was we couldn't find a drummer. And um, so I, at the time, I didn't own a drum kit. I didn't plan on playing drums at all. I was 100% guitar at that point. And what happened was a, a guy that came to my parents' house to try out uh, for the band to play the drums he, he tried out, and it didn't really go so well, and then he just left his drum kit there, and he didn't come back, and he didn't come and get it for, like, years. <laughs> so, wow. so that drum set was just sitting there, and because none of us had a drum set, we were like, how cool is this? I'm going to make a bunch of noise on this thing. And right. in doing so, um, I could somehow play the drums a little bit, and the other guys were like... Uh, dude, why don't you just be the drummer? And I was like, me, the drummer? Are you crazy? And so finally we agreed that I would do, like, one show. Like, okay, I'll do a gig. We'll see how it'll go. So 10 Years did our first show in April of 1999, and I played drums on that, and then literally it stuck for, you know, uh, most of my adult life. (laughs) Wow. And then when you when you picked up the drums and the guitar, et cetera, was that literally at 15 years old? I mean, when you're starting to want to do a band, or were you playing before that? Because you said that well, tennis I, kind of was your life. Guitar at 11. Um, okay. I started trying. Basically, what happened was is that music was music has always been there, but I didn't know it was something that I was going to really dive into until you know around 11. I started taking some guitar lessons. And my goal in life at that point was to basically learn every Metallica song uh, ever (laughs) written and try to play those. I had the posters up in the room. I was obsessed with that year and a half, year and a half in the life of Metallica documentary. And um, so that was, that got me kickstarted on guitar. Um, It wasn't until, you know, I guess when I, I had started to write some songs uh, around 11 or 12 years old but once I hit about 14 and I was in high school that's when I was writing stuff that actually was um uh, you know I can still to this day consider um you know song worthy 
In fact, there's part of a song that 10 Years has from our Division album called Russian Roulette, and there's okay. riffs in that song that I wrote when I was 14. Cool. That's really cool. So like you said, it's, it's really cool to see how the themes start to come together over the years as you reflect back and you say, wow, you know, there was a little bit of this from my dad. Now you have stuff from when you were, whatever, 14 years old kind of, you know, incorporated into your music. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. So as you're getting this band together, this is, you know, you have Lewis Cosby right on bass and Ryan Johnson is on guitar. And then I guess you're on drums. And this is around 1999 that you guys formed this. Were they in school with you? Did you guys go to the same school? You know, tell us a little bit about how you met the core members of the band. And then we'll start to, of course, bring Jesse into that, too. So at the time, um, the first uh, formation of the band was. Uh, me on drums. We had a guy named Chris Allman uh, on the bass, uh, and then it was uh, Tater Johnson on guitar and Matt Wantland on guitar. And um, we played a handful of shows uh, with that lineup, and then mm-hmm. we eventually um, got Lewis on bass. And our original singer, a guy named Mike Underdown, right when we mm-hmm. were basically – we had graduated high school. We were probably uh, 18 or so, and he decided that he wanted to move to L.A. to try and become an actor. He was a great actor back then, and I'm sure he still is, but he wanted to, he wanted to pursue that dream. And so at that point, he had left, and um, Jesse was in another band at the time, and I used to work at a Sam Goody music store in the mall in Knoxville. And he and his okay. bandmates used to come to the store every weekend and bring me flyers for their shows. Um, because at that point, 10 years had already become an established local band. And uh, he wanted, you know, he wanted some of us to come out and check out his band. So they would bring me flyers and talk to me at Sam Goody and all that stuff. And, you know, we'd talk about how much we love Tool and Deftones and bands like that. And so, you know, those guys were pretty cool. So we knew that we, you know, needed to find a singer. So we're like, I talked to the other 10 years guys and we're like, let's go check out as many bands as we can in case there's somebody out there that's really good, you know, because we had tried right. out a few <laughs> people and it didn't work out. Um, so we went and saw his band and uh, literally the second he opened his mouth to sing the first note, we were all like, well, there he is. <laughs> wow. There's our guy. So, I, I I don't know how I I talked to somebody and I got Jesse's phone number and I basically stalked him and pressured him into joining the band. So uh, he came and, and jammed with us and uh, we just knew that his voice had something special and and you know he we could already tell that he took pride in his lyrics and everything. So band took a little bit of a turn from we started out being much heavier and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original vocalist was was just a, a way more aggressive vocalist, which then made us write much more aggressive music. Uh, at that point, then with Jesse having the voice that he has, we took a little bit of a left turn and and went a little bit more melodic and ethereal. So, okay, and and just an interesting thing about Jesse, just to pull in, is that you know I've I read that he really didn't get into music or start singing. I mean, until his 
you know, either late teens or even early 20s. So, you know, just bring a little bit in about his background um, in terms of him, you know, starting out a little later. And does he play any instruments in addition, or does he just basically sing, write the lyrics, vocal melodies, etc.? Yeah, Jesse didn't start until much, much later. He he said that he tried to sing a little bit in church when he was young, but um, right. he does not play any instruments. He He doesn't, he's not into any of the other aspects of music or the creation really other than just the vocal aspect and and even with that I think that Jesse's just one of those guys who um even though he's got this angelic voice and he has accomplished everything he's accomplished sometimes I think he still uh has a hard time considering himself you know the lead singer of a professional rock band because it's just something that was never really on his radar growing up I don't think there was ever a time in his teenage years where he said that's what I'm going to do with my life Um, right so you know so you know a big part of a big part of even what he'll say now is just once once I after I did my stalking uh, with him and, and tried to talk him into joining our band at first, it was weird because, you know, he saw how driven we were and how much we wanted to. I mean, I, I had my mind set at that, especially after turning down college scholarships to go play tennis and, and upsetting my parents, basically. I was like, if I'm going to choose music, I have to figure out how to do it, like, all the way. So, for me, there was no, um, you know, half-assing right. it or anything. I was, I was all in. And so for him, I think he was just like, well, all right, if you want to, if you want to do it, let's try and do it. I'm along for the ride. But, you know, the, I don't, I don't know that he ever thought we would get to where we're at right now. Wow. That's, and you know, I think I should bring this in now. Cause I think it's, I think something that really resonated with me and something that I really um, value and appreciate about you guys, not just, you know, that you're phenomenal musicians and you put out some amazing work is that just how genuine and grounded and authentic you guys have like really maintained yourselves over the years and i think that's such a cool core theme that you guys have you know elaborate on that a little bit and i think that comes into play with what you're saying about jesse he was kind of like yeah go along for the ride let's let's see what happens with this but you know there was never this ego you know that that developed with you guys or this like narcissism you know talk about that a little bit because i think I think the industry is so wrought with that, that it's challenging not to get, and I think it comes, I think it says a lot about your character, you know, and I have a background in psychology, so we're not going to get into that. But, you know, I think as people, <laughs> I think as people, that's yeah. already there with you guys. I think that's a static factor. But yeah, talk a little bit about how you didn't let that stuff kind of, you know, get to you or, or dictate kind of how you did your, how you led your career. Well, I mean, for us, every album is a snapshot of where we're at at that particular time. And we feel as musicians and as creators that we're always, we're working so hard to progress and we're working so hard to um, to just maintain what we've built and then even, you know, build on it. So I don't, I don't think that we've ever felt like we made it there. Like wherever there is, we've never felt like we actually got there. Um, Wasteland was our biggest success. That was also our first single. And it was really Mm -hmm. strange to have the first song that you released that like I was 22 or 23 years old, um, be number one. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into this like 
little rock and roll limelight and uh it was we were too young and it happened too quick for us to even process it and and, and then translate it into ego i think because it was just like literally it was a whirlwind my head was spinning because we went from being a band that only toured in a little crafty van on the weekends to right. having a number one song living in a bus and being on the road for 17 months straight at one point so wow. we we just i think because it was just so chaotic at the time it was we weren't even able to really process it now the, you know once the smoke cleared with that and the hype on wasteland started to back off a little bit then we we faced and we were still facing this whole chasing our tail thing because right. we're in you know i mean we've had other singles that were successful and we're really proud of everything we've done but again i don't think we'll ever have that feeling of totally making it i guess so i mean we could have probably Aww. five number one singles and i'm not sure that we're going to feel like like we've done what we've set out to do yet and i don't i think that's just in our nature because we know that with every album we have a lot more music to write um you know mm-hmm. if we sat down in a room right now we could write several songs today so i think knowing that there's no ending to something like this like we'll be writers and we're going to be music makers no matter what indefinitely basically until you put us in the ground you know, um, then I think we're just going to keep doing what we do and keep experimenting and keep trying different sounds and different things and and letting the process naturally evolve. Right. Well, again, I mean, not that you guys don't know that you you have made it. You're a major success. I mean, you're you're such a powerful influence to so many, you know, evolving musicians out there. So, but I think it's really cool too that, like you said, you, you look at it as a process. It's a never-ending process. You're always evolving as musicians. But, um, but yeah, you guys are, you know, you've always been one of my favorite bands and it's, you know, it's just kind of surreal to have you on today, you know, promoting the new album that's going to be coming out on October 27th. So again, thank you for coming awesome. on. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Brian, talk, talk a little bit about, I think, and then we'll start to, you know, move forward with um, How to Live as Ghosts. You know, like you said, you had several albums out, The Autumn Effect, Division, Feeding the Wolves, those were under Universal you know, just, just give a couple of sentences or, you know, a little, elaborate a little bit on how you guys came to the attention of Universal, you know, why you chose to sign with them. And then I think it was interesting, you know, to also see that there was, and luckily and fortunately for you guys, a mutual departure um, when, you know, there was a lot of pressure for you guys to try to maybe go more mainstream and, you know, get involved with more of what was going on. And you guys, again, wanted to really stay true you know, to your nature and what your music's about and your sound. So, you know, just pulling a little bit about signing with them, the departure, and then we'll start moving forward more. Um, in 2004, we had caught an, uh, the attention of the local Knoxville radio station, 94.3. Back then it was called the X, uh, Extreme Radio. And the program director was a fella named Anthony Prophet, who is now actually at 93X, and um, he's down in Fort Myers, Florida. But um, at that time, nobody was really getting regular rotation as on radio as a local band. You know, they had a designated Sunday night local hour where the local bands would get spun, but in Knoxville, we had built up enough of a following to where when we went and played shows, we could bring in four to 600 people 
uh, like easily in Knoxville back then. So wow. the radio station started to get involved, and um, they eventually Anthony Prophet, uh, he goes by the radio name Roach. He decided to spin Wastelands in regular rotation. He was like, because he told me he and I became friends, and he was like, "There's something in this song. There's something about this song." I believe in it. I think the listeners will believe in it. I want to test it. And, you know, for us back then, Mm -hmm. we didn't really understand how radio worked or anything. And we were like, dude, you're going to play this on the radio? How freaking cool is that? So he was just (laughs) pumped that he was even going to give it one play. Well, so I guess what ended up happening was he gave it a couple plays during drive time radio, and the phones went insane. Like, people started calling in, and he started getting all these requests. And within weeks, that song was the number one requested song and the number one song on their playlist out of all the bands that, you know, all the signed bands that were getting worked to radio. So um, so then, you know, next thing you know, every record company that, that we knew at the time was courting us. So we had Atlantic and uh, Universal and Roadrunner and... Um, right. Hollywood, wow. like all, like all, every label was coming at us because they couldn't quite figure out why this local unsigned band was was not just getting spinned, <laughs> but was the number one song right. on on that station. Um, and, Amazing. Uh, yeah, and at that time, Avery Littman. I remember I got a call uh, to the radio station and then got my phone number. And I got a call from Avery Lippman, who is head of Republic Universal Records. And he, and at the time, Godsmack, because Godsmack is actually still on that label, but we, we bumped Godsmack out of the number one spot on that station. And he called, and he was like, why are you taking spots away from my band? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but but not, in a, right. not in a bad way. It was kind of a, a joking thing. And then he was like, listen, I've listened to the tune, like, over and over. I love it. I looked up more of your stuff. I love that. I want to come in for a show. And, you know, we had kind of heard that same song and dance from other labels. But there was something about Avery that seemed extremely um, genuine. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't... He wasn't. Uh, he he wanted to sign us for us at that time, and he wasn't trying to turn Jesse into Steven Tyler or something. You know, at the, like some of the other labels that we met with, they had talked about uh, what they liked about us and what they wanted to change about us, and that immediately put a bad taste in our mouth. So Avery didn't do that. So we we went with the Universal deal, and Universal cool. did treat us extremely well. They're responsible for giving us our only number one single on radio. Um, so, uh, you know, I love a lot of those folks over there. Now, when we came to a crossroads was around the time we were doing Feeding the Wolves. Um, right. You know, it's, it's just it's, it's one of those things where they had huge success with Hinder, uh, that song Lips of an Angel, which, you know, yep. at the time it really killed it. They did really well them though is that we're we are not that band and we don't write those songs um i'm friends with some of those guys so it's you know they do what they do and we do what we do and it's not the same and that's where universal i think just you know that for them they're they're a big company that makes a lot of money and dishes out a lot of money and 
I understand why they wanted us to try and go more mainstream, and they wanted, you know, they basically wanted a 10 years version of Lips of an Angel, and that's not going to happen with us. So, um, you know, we felt like it was just right at that time to get out of that situation, and, you know, they agreed as well. So we parted ways mutually, and then that leads us into the next two records, that I produced mm-hmm. in my studio where we literally did not even let, we didn't let management or anybody hear what we were up to. We basically just made those records and said, Hey world, here you go. Um, and that, that was just, you know, again, going back to my concept of each album being a snapshot of where we're at at, at that particular time, minus the machine and from birth to burial are basically just Jesse and I at my studio uh, doing whatever the hell we wanted at the time, and um, and that's what those records are. And those records were, you know, great too. I mean, you had a few hit singles off of them: Miscellanea, Dancing with the Devil. I mean, yeah, some some great stuff. And and I guess talk a little bit too with with that. I think minus the machine, you know, symbolically represented, right? You guys kind of moving away from that idea where you know you're being treated like that in terms of again no no fault to universal but you guys need to do your own thing right and moving away yeah, kind of from yeah. this idea of again not being this kind of clone and i and i really again i want to get into some of the content of the new album because i think it's really interesting i guess again with some of my background um but yeah i think that was you know like you said a, a diversion away from that so how did you get involved in producing i mean did you teach yourself you know, everything in terms of production and mix and, you know, engineering? Because I think um, that's a great skill to have these days. It, it, it is, um, especially now with how it's good to be as DIY as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, after we spent the amount, the insane amount of money that we did making the Feeding the Wolves album, um, I, 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 we did not really get the experience that we wanted out of making that record. So we thought, you know what, we're going to try and, well, really, it, it wasn't um, wasn't really a band decision. I just kind of said, you know what, I'm going to spend my life savings at the time and put it into gear uh, and see what will happen. And, you know, I worked for a studio in Knoxville for a short period of time and learned a little bit. But all along the way of making our records, I always paid attention, and I was always very interested. So I think that mm-hmm. interest just kind of kind of grew into a, uh, a practical practice of, of putting that knowledge that I've obtained to use. So um, I got the gear. I kind of made a little studio at my house, and we got right to work. And, you know, minus the machine is obviously about the machine being the record company and leaving them and... And then from birth to burial, to jump forward a little bit, that record um, is very straightforward. I mean, it, it's, uh, the title is basically saying that we thought that that was going to be the last record because the band was right. unhealthy. We were, the dynamics, the relationships were toxic. Um, it just was not working, and it was not fun anymore. So um, how that ties into now where we're at um, from birth to burial was – the death of the band in the last chapter and how to live as ghosts is us rising uh and Mm -hmm. we're we're fresh and new and and literally this is like the happiest and most productive and healthiest the band has been it was a long hard road to get here but i think a big you know 
a big part of that was Matt and I coming back because in 2013 I took a hiatus and Matt had been out since 2009 and uh, the departure we had to let go of uh, one of the longtime members just because it just wasn't healthy anymore and it wasn't working anymore. Right. So um, making those changes now. Uh, I feel like I'm 17 years old again. Every time that I strap on a guitar <laughs> and Matt and I talk, or Matt and I sit in a room and, and jam, um, it, it's new and fresh again, and it feels right. So, That's um, great. How to Live as Ghost, in every single possible way imaginable, is a rebirth of the band and a really a, a new sense of happiness and togetherness for us and we needed that and and um you know i i can't tell you how just dark and um negative uh the last album wow. cycle was for the band but now it's, right. it's a totally different ball game and what i think and if you can again with what you feel comfortable sharing you know what what was that moment where you and matt you know how did you guys come together to regroup and say you know what this is right now. We're ready to do this again. We're in a better place, like you said. It's definitely, like you said, the album's, you know, I think there's still some, you know, darkness to it, but it is definitely, it's more optimistic. You know, the sound is a little brighter. You know, so what was that moment where you said, you know what, I think, I think we're ready to do this again. What, you know, what, what happened? Um, well, the guys were about to, this was before I was back. Matt came back before I did. Um, and he didn't know if he was going to stick around. He just came by to do, he came back to do a couple tours. Um, but they were about to embark on an acoustic tour. And um, since I write the majority, especially the older uh, material mm-hmm. uh, before How to Live as Ghost, I wrote the majority of those songs, uh, the music. So Matt and I got connected because they were going to go out and do an acoustic tour. And he needed to sit with me to go over a lot of the guitar parts to, to make sure that um, he and Tater were going to be playing them correctly. And, um, gotcha. Uh, and so we had not talked from, since 2009. So it was 2009 oh to 2016, we did not talk. And then in 2016, we reconnected, and he came over to my house, and we went to the studio, and we sat down with our acoustic guitars, and literally within 30 seconds of us playing together, we started busting out laughing because it was like the most beautiful music that we could be ever made, you know? And, uh, and, and it, it was, we just, you know, I mean, that, that's a relationship that feels right musically. It's, it's almost like he and I communicate about words, you know? I mean, we hang out Mm -hmm. all the time, obviously, and we talk, but, but when it comes to music, the way that we communicate and, and our relationship, it, it, it works very well, especially for 10 years. It's, it's, you know, it's a big part of that signature sound, the melodic, lush guitar sound of 10 years is, is, the, is us joining forces and creating that. So, um, you know, and, and so we had that moment of reconnection. And then at the time, I didn't really, because I hadn't been on the road with the guys uh since 2013 so I wasn't really too aware of of everything that was going on uh, behind the scenes but I guess you know Jesse had come to a crossroads with the band where he said either we have to make a big change and let somebody that's been there for a long time go 
or the band's just going to end. We're going to we're going to call it because we can't keep going like this. And uh, gotcha. that was a, that was a big decision and that was a big change, you know. So, um, so I you, talked to him about saying, it and so real quick, Brian, you're saying, and you don't have to get into details. So you're saying membership-wise, there was definitely some dynamics going on that needed to be either resolved or, like you said, let go just because it was not healthy for the band. Correct. Yeah. The, yeah. The okay. options were either just basically, you know, let End let it. someone go, or or just completely pull the plug on the whole operation. And with right. with mascot label uh, label group coming on board and expressing interest in the band, uh, and them being a European based label with with an amazing music executive uh, heading up the the United States office, we felt like there was a big opportunity on the table. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that was the thing is that in order to pursue, pursue that opportunity, you know, that, that big change had to be made. So, you know, the band went forward with that and I came back and, you know, it, it's literally, as soon as I came back, we started writing for the new record and this time around, instead of making it where I was, cause a lot of time in the past, again, I would write the majority of the music and then Jesse and I would work on the vocal together. And we mm-hmm. had always been very closed off. Um, because to be honest with you, uh, the, the dynamic of the band before we couldn't work together all together as a whole band. It just didn't work. It would always cause a fight or oh, arguments no. or, you know, it just wasn't productive. Right. So usually that's why Jesse and I would just hole ourselves off and, 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 and do it, you know, that way. This time around, though, um, with the dynamic and the band being different, we literally did every single bit of the writing for this record, for the most part, in a room all together. Which That's great. Um, you know, it basically, that's it, a new process for us because it's never really happened. So, um, and I, to be honest, I couldn't have been happier. It was so fun to just sit and, and you know, uh, throw ideas back and forth with one another and, and you know, get get that instant feedback. Hey, do you like this? Do you like that? Um, you know, what do you have? And, and it was really cool and interactive. And uh, and I think it, it just really boosted the morale. And I'm so happy and proud of the new record. It's great. It's great. And, and let's do this because I want to definitely fit in Novocaine and then check, you know, talk a little bit more about actually the actual record. You know, you have Chad Huff, right? He was doing guitar. You put him on bass. And you also have Kyle mm-hmm. Meyer on drums. He also plays keys. So, you know, I wanted to at least mention their names and, um, you know, give them credit for their, like you said, collaboration, involvement with the project and the new album. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those guys bring a different perspective to what we're doing because, like I said, we've been so closed off for so long. Um, so, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it, and especially for me, the last two records I played all the instruments on. So, you know, drums, guitar, bass, all the, all the wow. programming, I did all of that, and then I produced it and mixed them. So I just was, if, if you talked to me during making either one of those records, I was probably a lunatic because I was so stressed <laughs> out. And, right. You know, I mean, I just, I, I, I tried to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I'm learning that, you know, that's not how I want to do things moving forward. I did have fun. Right. Who knows, we might. We might, I might produce another record for the band at some point, but at this time, at this, at this age, and where the band is at, you know, we needed 
to be with Nick Rastolinic making this mm-hmm. record for Mascot right now. Uh, that's just what Definitely. had to happen uh, for this band to feel refreshed and, and to come back again. Okay, let's do this. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Novocaine, and then I'm going to feature the song, and then we're going to come back and talk about the recording process, working with Nick and the upcoming tour and all that good stuff. So Novocaine's really interesting. I, the video is interesting. Um, you know I, know, I know the concept has to do a little bit with the fact that, you know, at some point in life, you know, you get a little numb to things. You're kind of rote. You're kind of going through everyday life with, you know, just the monotony. So, yeah, talk a little bit about the, the concept of that album and, and the video, especially with, you know, I see you guys with your eyes turning black and the faces are kind of melting or dissolving, so to speak. You know, share with us a little bit about that and then we'll check out the song. Well, I mean, it really, it's just a matter of, like you said, the routine of life can numb you. And, and you know, oddly, the, Jesse got the idea for that concept for that song by sitting and he was, we were working on the record and he was trying to write. And every day he would sit at his little desk at his house and he would try and write and he would try and come up with stuff he needs after write. Because we've written so many songs and so many albums now that right. there's, like there's like very few subjects that he hasn't gone to yet, so it's kind of tough for him after writing this much to try and find a new way to shine a light on something that you know that has already been discussed. So uh, it started out actually about him feeling numb just about writing, and then he was like, "Well, you know, that's how people feel in everyday life." And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, once he once he got to that point and and that realization the song happened really quickly. Uh, So, but that, yeah, that's basically what it is. Okay, cool. So I'm going to put you on hold, Brian. We'll check out the track and then we will uh, come back. Okay. Cool. All right. Thanks so much. All right, everyone, you're listening to Brian, uh, one of the founding members of 10 years. We're going to check out their hit single Novocaine. It is all over radio right now. I heard it and I was introduced to it on Sirius XM Octane, which is one of my favorite stations. So uh, let's check it out, and then we'll come back and continue with the interview.
everyone. Welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show. Again, Novocaine by 10 Years. Amazing song. Be sure to pick up their album that will be released on October 27th. It is titled How to Live as Ghosts, and it is phenomenal. I've had a chance to stream it, and there's some amazing tracks on it. So let's bring um, Brian back on. All right, Brian. Great, great song. Really cool Thank stuff. You. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And I want to let you know some of my personal favorites. I mean, the more I listened to it, it was it was interesting. I mean, in the beginning, I'm like getting into it, and then I just every song started to stand out to me. And I just I really do love the album. You guys did a, an exceptional job with it. Um, but some of the ones I love are The Messenger's Great, Burnout, um, Ghosts, Blood Red Skies, really cool, kind of a different, you know, a little bit of a different dynamic with that one, and also Phantoms yeah. and, and Halos. So. Uh, Cool. Personally, if I awesome. had one to pick the next single, and it was hard, I think I'd go with the title, the title track with the ghost one. I, there's something about that one that's just a really cool song to uh, maybe release as a second single again, if I had my personal preference. <laughs> oh, cool, so, cool. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. You know, for us, we never know what should be singles. You know, the only song that we've right. ever really fought for to be a single was Shoot It Out. Um, all the all these other records, it, you know, they're all our – those songs are our children, so – it's very hard to decide uh, what to, you know, send out into the world. But uh, and it's, it's interesting too that you mentioned Blood Red Sky and how that one's a little bit different because I released yeah. a solo EP like I don't know three or four years ago, and uh, that was on my solo EP. And for, I didn't even realize that Jesse had even listened to that because uh, I never sent it to him or anything. But mm-hmm. he, uh, um, when we were trying to figure out the songs for this record. He was like, hey, I, I want to try your Blood Red Sky song, and I want to do a little bit of a different take on it. And we did, and uh, I love it. I think it turned out really cool. But it's still weird to hear because I, uh, I have my original version stuck in my head half the time, and it, like, you know, collides with this new version. Right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, that one definitely stood out to me. Yeah, I like it a lot. And that, that could also be another single. I mean, that one was a tough one, too, because it was between that, Blood Red Sky, and, and I really like Burnout. I mean, Burnout's a real cool one, too. Um, yeah. So tell us, cool. tell us a little bit about again, just the you know the writing process. You know, how long did it take you to write this album? How many songs were you picking from? I know sometimes bands, you know, have off up to you know twenty plus songs. You know, or was it you know pretty? You guys honed in pretty much on what you wanted to do. You know, talk a little bit about the writing process, working with Nick, as you said, who's you know a phenom. He's worked with Alice in Chains, Deftones, etc. Um, so yeah, talk a little bit about that. Nick was the guy. We leaned on Nick so much to help us determine what songs we're going to make for record. And uh, uh, we wrote maybe 20 to 25 ideas, uh, uh, which, you know, some of them were finished songs. Some of them were just pieces. But uh, anytime we had an idea, we would record the demo at my studio, and then I'd send it to Nick. And, at you know, before we started really digging into pre-production for the record, he made a list of what he thought was right. And we basically, because for us, we, we thought all of them had potential. We weren't completely married to um, any of them. So out of those mm-hmm. 20 or 25 ideas, when he said, hey, let's work on, you know, this group of 11, we were like, okay, cool, let's do it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, drastically overthink everything when we're creating. Mm-hmm. So, um Nick was the best producer for us at that time because he didn't allow that. He he literally said, I want this record to be deliberate. 
abbreviated and lean, and basically meaning he wanted us to stick to the meat and potatoes, and he was like, he didn't want us to overproduce or overthink. So that's why right. something like Novocaine being a very minimally produced song with, you know, it, that's only clocking in at like two minutes and 48 seconds or something like well, that. Like if, quick, if we, if I had right. produced that at my studio without me right. basically telling us to strip things down, it, it would not have turned out that way probably. So, um, you know, we definitely leaned on him to, to whip us into shape. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's so funny you said that because I didn't know the song was really that short. You know, I listened to it on Octane, I listened to it on, you know, I streamed it, and then when I, you know, uploaded it to my system here, and I was, you know, getting ready to prepare the interview today, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like two minutes and 49 seconds. I was like, you know, it sounds almost like it's a regular three and a half minute song, but it's, yeah, it's cool that it's that short, and you don't really realize it. Right, totally, because again, if Jesse and I were left alone to record and produce that we probably would have said, ah, it's a little, a little short. We need to add something or, you know, whatever, just because we, you know, our brains would naturally think, well, it's, it's, it's just too short. But Nick was right. like, you guys are crazy. This song is done, right. <laughs> you know? So he wouldn't even let us, right. you know, try anything. Nice. That's awesome. And it's cool. I think it's cool, like you said, to have someone there that can kind of not keep you in line, but like you said, you guys are going to overthink, you might do more production and, and he did, I mean, you know, reading again about the record, you know, he, he did strip it down a little bit. You know, Jesse's vocals are a little, you know, a little more minimal. There's not as much stacking as you guys have done. But I think there, I think the moments are right. Like when he does have him coming in and there's the harmonies or, you know, there there is some layering to it. I think that it sounds great. Yeah. And, you know, the harmonies, Nick was extremely um, uh, he was dead set on me singing all the harmonies. So. Um, which oh, is fine. And I, I've sang, I've sang a lot of the harmonies on all the records. Actually, um, the only thing was is that in the past, I usually tried to hide my voice and I would sing like Jesse. I would literally try to just make myself sound like him so that it blended well and that nobody knew anything. You know that it didn't stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nick said no. That's the opposite way you need to think because texturally, our voices sound really solid together. So. Um, you know, he, he made that decision early on, too. He wanted to make sure it sounded like two people. So That's cool. Yeah, no, it sounds great. It sounds great. So let's do this. Here's, this is where my psychology is going to come in a little bit because I was really fascinated by um, the artwork on the album cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if you've ever heard the word Rorschach, but, you know, kind of like that inkblot because it, it is so ambiguous. And depending on what you're honing in on and looking at, even turning it different ways, it has different, you know, elements or you can perceive it in different ways. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause I, I think it captures the essence of this like existential humanistic type of quality of, you know, I think Jesse's lyrics are talking a lot about life and death and meaning and also, you know, trying to make your own choices and not be these, these clones or be manipulated by, you know, how people want people to behave or think if, if I'm capturing right, that exactly. correctly. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, that, that's the thing, you know, is that the album artwork, it is ambiguous, but everything you said about the existential kind of like human thing, that mm-hmm. that's what this is. It, it really represents, well, first off, we wanted the imagery to be open, light, and airy. And mm-hmm. um, 
we we like the concept of of the girl on the cover because I mean you know like everybody and it's funny because everybody um, you know your initial reaction is okay she's falling or or something like that but for us it's more of like you know um, entering a new chapter or falling into the new the new existence mm-hmm. of this band um, and. And it's just the last album being from birth to burial and the, the album artwork being so damn dark and almost this, this is just the polar opposite and we very much so on purpose. Yeah, no, it's cool. And I think, well, it's funny because when I look at it just as it is, it almost looks like she's being lifted up. I don't, I wouldn't, my interpretation is almost like she's being lifted up to the sky rather than falling. If you turn it upside down, it looks what, like she's yeah, almost... that's what we right. wanted, too, because right. it, 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 exactly, that can be interpreted that way as well, because, um, you know, whether you're falling into your next chapter or you're being lifted into it, it's for mm-hmm. us, it's, it's the same, it's one and the same, because, you know, the new chapter has begun, and it's, it, you know, I mean, we, we definitely uh, wanted to, t- to try and give off that feeling of, the existential kind of uh, just airiness, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's cool. And then it's funny, too, like when I started to really look closely, there's, like, almost, like, trees and, like, nature, which you don't really see necessarily right away. You know, that's kind of embedded yeah. through her dress. And what's what's the symbolism with that? Well, uh, just nature for us really, really felt like um, – there's something so organic about that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. this album being so organic, not just in how we wanted to produce it, but how we created it, you know, all being in a room, uh, uh, bouncing ideas off of one another, all that, that, that whole, everything from top to bottom was organic. And so we definitely wanted to implement some of those elements into the artwork. Hey, hey Brian. Cool. Hey, uh, okay. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting summoned for sound check. Um, okay, right. okay. Oh, you got to get wrapped. Okay, we'll start wrapping things up, all right? But, yeah, so the you organic element is, is definitely okay. – um, the, the organic element is definitely something that uh, I think conceptually from creation to execution was, was there and something that we wanted to make sure was was present in the artwork as well. Cool, cool. Well – do you, get, you have to get rolling? Because if you have to get rolling, we'll start wrapping it up. Um, yeah, my tour manager's telling me that we have okay, to sound check cool. uh, before we... <laughs> okay, so I just want to say, um, you know, just please plug uh, your social media sites. I know you have a tour you're playing with Otherwise, right, right now, and then it's going to be followed by a run with Red and then followed by a run with Chevelle, which is some amazing bands for you guys to be playing with. So, yeah, please uh, plug where people can find you at, you know, plug where you're going to be playing tonight. And um, we'll wrap things up. So we are um, we are heading to Virginia now. We're playing a place called Blue Fox with Otherwise. And um, uh, I, I just saw earlier that it was posted that the show sold out. So thank you to everyone who will be coming out to that. Um, that's a very good feeling as a touring band to see that. So um, <laughs> so yeah, we're definitely we're definitely happy about that. Um, we. Um, we're definitely pumped about the red and, and otherwise tour. And then of course, Chevelle after that, uh, on social media, I know we're 10 years or 10 years music on everything. And, 
our website, just 10yearsmusic.com. Um, and uh, definitely hunt down the tour dates on there and come see us. And uh, we, that you know, yet we were in Knoxville, Tennessee last night doing a hometown show, and I met folks that came in from Houston, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Alabama, wow. Arkansas, Georgia, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. Um, literally, people travel from all over the country to come see us in our hometown, and I mean that that's almost fear inducing of how special. Uh, that is to us and how, how, uh, how much that means to us. So the people that support the band and come out and see us and, and listen to the music and let us be a little part of their lives, that, that's really important to us, and, and we can't thank them enough. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on today. I mean, it's been a phenomenal interview, and um, the podcast will be available for anyone who can't tune into the live one. So I would greatly appreciate it if you guys could maybe share it on your social media site, because I think it's just been so many interesting things you shared that I did not read about you guys anywhere else. So, again, it's, it's awesome. been a pleasure, and I wish, I wish you guys a lot of success. Um, I know real quick that you also have a, another band on this side, and I wanted to mention to you, of course, you're always welcome to come back on with 10 years. And if you'd like to come on at some point to promote any other stuff that you're doing, um, hit me up. You're always welcome to come on the show. Awesome. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, thank awesome. you so well, much again, so Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And much success to you in 10 years. Awesome. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Have a great day and great night. All right. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, Brian Voden from uh, 10 Years, amazing interview, exclusive, I would like to say, in-depth, one-hour interview with him where you are going to really learn some cool, interesting background about this band that, like I said, I did not read anywhere else. So if you uh, tuned in late, please check out the podcast. It will be available shortly after I go off the air. And again, check out their album. It is called How to Live as Ghosts. It will be out on October 27th, and right now they have the Hit single, Novocaine, in rotation on major radio stations, as well as they have a really cool video out for it. So, again, thank you for tuning into the show. I've done probably, gosh, almost 230 interviews now. You know, check it out. I have comedians, primarily rock bands is what I interview, and, and other type of musicians. Every interview is different. Every interview I'm going to take you on an interesting journey. And uh, follow me at Carrie Edelman on Twitter, as well as on Instagram. I also have a Facebook page for The Carrie Edelman Show where I have all of my upcoming interviews and guests that will be appearing. And you can also be friend me on Facebook, too, if you want to keep in touch that way. So thank you so much for tuning in again. And I'll be posting some uh, new upcoming interviews in the near future. And have a great day.